Welcome to More Business, More Life podcast. I'm your host, Steve Napolitan. This show is for C-level executives, entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, and speakers who have found success, but they don't have the life that they want. On this weekly show, we're gonna be talking about business skills to have more business while we design our ideal life and have more life. More business, more life without sacrifice. Welcome to the show. Welcome to More Business, More Life podcast. And today we have Chris Shembra here from 747. And he uh, now hosts dinners in a remarkable way of bringing people to uh, really think about love, gratitude, compassion. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things today about where he you know, went to where he thought he was living the dream of his life, producing Broadway shows to realizing he really needed to make a change in his life. And he did. And it's brought him to the success that he's had now. So we're going to explore all of that and more and a weather storm that he <laughs> sat outside during this recording. So listen in and hear what happens. So Chris, I'm so excited to have you on the show and um, it's like we're always talking about more business and more life and I think you bring that to a lot of people. So I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, buddy. From the moment we met out in Denver, I knew we were going to get some good stuff from the mutual friends of, was it Lee Steinberg? Uh, yeah, Lee Steinberg. Yeah, I, one, of, uh, one of my first bigger events uh, over a 10 years ago now it's crazy to say but lee uh lee and i got to connect and he uh, we did an event called win-win which i still run that uh, event but uh it's all about having human beings win together that's how i started working with lee which you know he's all about that so i love yeah. that when when we when we used to run the the whole life skills division for the nfl for 19 seasons we used to go to lee's famous Super Bowl parties every year, and it was uh, quite a spectacle. So uh, uh, my best to them right now. Yeah, it's uh, – yeah, they, they have a lot of change. I know we've uh, – we're all going through uh, changes right now, and as you are as well with your business, because you uh, – your business um, – has been built around live events. <laughs> so, right. I mean, going and having dinners together. And so, you know, while we're recording this, cause I think people might listen to this after this too, Chris, but while we're recording this, we're going through, um, our shelter in place for, uh, much of the world. Right. So you've figured a way to pivot and be able to help people now. Yeah. It's, it's been pretty neat. I mean, um, here we are in the middle of New York city, you know, the great epicenter of the world right now. And it's, um, it's, it's such an interesting uh, time to see how human beings react to change, how human beings react to conflict. There was, a, uh, there was a line in one of the first plays I ever produced about Fiorello LaGuardia, the former mayor of New York City, and in it, we talk about how it's through hardship and hard work that creativity grows and flourishes. And if you study history, um, you'll know that Human beings have withstood, have gotten through, you know, a lot worse times than this. Um, and we will get through this, but we have to do it together. Um, you know, we're at a more divided moment in human history than, than many times before. People are arguing about things that they don't need to be arguing about. You know, we're facing a great enemy. And if we learn anything from Game of Thrones, it's it, the uh, the Lannisters and the uh, the Starks they got to come together at some point when they're facing the White Walkers but we got to do that as a humanity now that's for sure yeah absolutely it's amazing what and what you've done you know to bring people together I think that's 
part of your business, is it not? I mean, you know. Yeah, you, you know, my my greatest childhood insecurity was always that I was the last one called to the party. I grew up in uh, I grew up in kind of a bubble on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and and I knew so many diverse groups of people growing up in such a beautiful place. But I knew knew so many diverse groups of people, but I was never on the inside. It was always the last one called to the party. Oh, you know, why Why call Chris? He's probably at someone else's place by now. And uh, that insecurity led me through the chapters of suicide, depression, jail, rehab. And when I, when I finally found the dinner table and when I finally realized that, you know, I could actually make a living connecting people and, 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 uh, and feeding people, I, I realized that what Johan Hari had talked about all these years in his famous TED talk about addiction rang so true that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. And uh, if I could build a business around something that was starting to cure my childhood insecurity, then I, I would just, I would be just fine. I would do just all right. And, and you have, well, it's, it's just so true. Like this whole thing of human connection, because if you look at one of the most traumatic things a human being can go through is isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, we're made to be together. I think, and that's one of our core values from from my company. Together, um, you know, there's so many adages, right? Like the African proverb it says, "If you want to go somewhere quickly, go go by yourself. If you want to go somewhere, if you want to go far, go together." You know, it's yeah. and many hands make light work, and all these things. But we look at ourselves, and even you know, uh, you know, people like. Um, uh, oh, now I've totally blanked on his name, but he does free to learn. What is it? It's um, uh, Peter Gray. Peter Gray. Yeah. He's actually at Boston University. But, you know, he talks about this as well as like how much we want to connect. And a lot of people blame the youth right now saying all they want to do is get behind their technology. But he brought the stats. He said, like, you know, right now we're in a social situation, especially in the United States, where the parents, were, it's not okay to let our kids run. Whereas, you know, previous generations, they could go outside until it got dark and then they would come back and we were with our friends. And now a lot of kids have been already going through this isolation or stay at home because like you have to be at home and then they're dying for that connection. So they're using their devices to connect. And it goes back to your point that, you know, a great way to move away from all of those things and suicide and things is or addiction specifically uh, which I brought the word suicide because I've been taught a lot of people that that's a slow suicide, like any form of addiction, alcohol, yeah. whatever those are. And it's a lack of connection. Well, or, you know, or the, perceived. Yeah. You, you know, it's um, in the Surgeon General of the United States put out a statistic the other year saying that 51% of the American workforce reports being lonely on a consistent basis, which is equivalent to the reduction of lifespan of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, seven years off your life. And that was then. I can't imagine, you know, what it's going to be now. We could, we could see 70 to 80% of Americans reporting being lonely on a consistent basis through all of this. And as we see companies, uh, you know, shifting their work from home policies and downsizing their real estate footprint, you know, are, are people going to go through a massive upheaval of, uh, how they connect face to face with individuals. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I can tell you right now, I've been living on Zoom. <laughs> I don't know how it's been for you, but you know, I, I will, I do notice the difference. Like, cause I've been consulting and coaching for many, many years and I, 
I noticed how much longer clients stay with me or I'm able to help them more when I've used Skype back in the day and, and also like, you know, WebEx or GoToMeeting, mm -hmm. but you know, Zoom is, is it now. And the more that I use that, you know, I've had people I've worked with for like five years and I've only seen them face to face two times. And I remember the for one, one client, first time I saw them, I was like, hey, how are you doing? Like, no big deal. And then I realized, wait a minute, this is the first time we've been together face to face because... I had the illusion that I had been with them because it was yeah. like this, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting um, just being able to use video. So we're in this place of technology where it can help. It's not an equivalent exchange, but it definitely is better than not having to see you, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I'm certainly not against it right now. We figured out a way to, to use it for good. We figured out a way to help people transfer emotion right through the screen uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty impressed to say the least. Uh, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, a, a dear friend of mine, Cal Fussman, he really taught me how to step into the screen. And what I mean by that, Cal, when he was a kid, he had one life goal, interview Muhammad Ali for a sports paper. And he accomplished that goal when he was only 18 years old. So, you know, what's left to do with your life once you've achieved, you know, it. So he took whatever money he had in his pocket and he sailed off to Europe. And what he ended up doing is he spent 10 years in Europe floating around on the kindness of strangers, interacting face-to-face, -face, staying in people's homes, getting to know their history, their stories. And when he got back to America, he knew he had a accumulated so much wisdom they had to do something with it and he started a column um, eventually at Esquire magazine called what I've learned and it became one of the most popular columns in the history of Esquire and when the 2008 financial crisis hit Cal's boss called him up hugely popular column he called him up and said the travel budgets have run dry you're gonna have to do your interviews face to face uh, 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 via Skype and Cal said, you can't do that to me. I, I can't interview Mikhail Gorbachev, Ronald Reagan, Muhammad Ali, et cetera, through, through technology. You can't do that to me. But he did it. And as he told me the other day, Cal did, that when we're sitting here through Zoom, our faces are like 10 inches away. It's not like that. It's not that we're far apart. Like I can see, I can see your oil marks. I can see your dimples and your pimples. And oh yeah, sorry, Steve. <laughs> it's um, okay. <laughs> oops, uh, you got a great light there. Whatever that yeah. is. No, it, but Thank uh, you, brother. you can really see and 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 talk about uh, being able to communicate empathy. You are now stepping into people's homes, right? You now you know that I have a, a red barrel. Now you know that I have a backyard. That would have yeah. never come up in conversation. Right. And so, you know, empathy and gratitude is obviously the two things that we care about the most in this world. I think you can really transform relationships for the positive using this technology. It's so amazing. Uh, the feedback I'm 100% with you. And you know how you said we're, we're having these things that uh, the reason I was almost, I was, I was giggling for a second there because you said that you're shocked or surprised. And so by, like in my workshop, I'm all about connecting with humans uh, or you're about to get rained on. <laughs> it's raining good. here today too in California. I, I already have my, uh, my patio umbrella plus my golf umbrella. Perfect. There you go. Yeah. Uh, 
Chris is outside for the audio listeners, and he's got two umbrellas to stay dry and keep his microphone dry. Um, beautiful, brother. Um, so the quick I think I was going to say is that uh, I teach the sales class, but really, if I boiled it down, it's about connecting with humans. That's yep. all it is. That's why I teach because yep. sales, if you actually just connect with someone and then you make a real experience, then you're really not selling. You're just finding a, a developing a need. So in that class, there's a spot. Uh, and I usually don't tell people this publicly because it freaks them out when they come, but I'm going to say it because it's totally prudent to this. But I have this thing where they stare into uh, someone's eyes for about 10 minutes. Uh, it's, five, it's actually two people, five minutes each, but it's, um, and then there's some guidance to it and all this. But I was like, how is this going to work? I'm going to do it through Zoom. I've never done this before. And then we did it. And I had a couple people that have taken the class before, and they actually said it was more profound overall because they could see everyone's face. You know how like when you're in a, a workshop or even if you're sitting around a dinner table, some of the people are further away. Well, with this, you can see everyone in the group. And so they actually felt more connected to the whole overall group than they did when they come into the room, which was profound for me. It's, it's a very, uh, I, I mean, first of all, using empathy for sales, that's the bottom line. I, I've been interviewing a bunch of uh, interns over the last couple of days and the majority of them communicate that they used to think that you had to be rough and tumble in order to do good business. But after seeing our job application and looking up what we do, they've completely changed, you know, that outlook. I, I, I love it. Like the, I'm having a wizard of Oz. Oh my God. A, a, a wizard of Oz moment that was not even on the weather report. It just became pitch black for all the listeners that are out there. It's scary in New York city right now. Um, so I'm so excited for this. You know, it's interesting. You talk about empathy. One of the greatest moments at our dinners, um, you know, Steve alluded to the, the dinners earlier in the intro and one of our favorite dinners we were doing, uh, we do a lot of like celebrity uh, music, dinners out in in hollywood a bunch for for uh for one of our partners and we were doing a dinner one time and you know we had a bunch of founders a bunch of grammy award winners all these great people around the dinner table and when it got to the point of the evening when people were asked to give credit and thanks to someone in their life that they don't give enough credit or thanks to who would that be that's our our gratitude question one guy sitting next to me who's a famous DJ, he wanted to give credit and thanks to this guy who, after he read the book, this guy's book, changed his whole way he looks at sales and negotiations and all these kind of things, and, and he's got a business, and he's doing all these things. He said, I'd like to give credit and thanks to Chris Voss, who wrote the book, Never Split the Difference, Negotiate as if Your Life Depends on It. Chris was... Uh, the lead FBI international hostage negotiator. His book was, I mean, easily top five best-selling books of 2019, still is to this day. And I looked over at Chris Stafford and I said, you realize he's sitting right there, don't you? And he's like, no shit. And Chris Voss was at the dinner as well. Every single person at the dinner raised their hand and said, I read your book too. I bought it for my entire team. It changed our entire business. Wow. The concept of the book, tactical empathy. That's it, man. It's, That's it. 
It's so true. And I, and this is more needed than ever, Chris, right now, because people are, you know, the business has been suffered in this time of closures and shutdowns and people are looking at how do we do business? How do we do sales? And, and I, I've looked at people, I'm like, oh, does your business hurt people? And they're like, they look at me like crazy. And I'm like, they're like, no, not at all. It actually helps you. I'm like, well, then why would you stop? Why would I you stop helping people? I, you know, a, a, a dear friend of mine, Howard Becker, has a rule. And I haven't even talked about this in a long time. Howard Becker was a, uh, my girlfriend's laughing at me from inside saying, what the heck is about to happen? But my, my dear friend, Howard Becker, he runs, he's VP of membership for the uh, State Business Council of New York. And, uh, you know, his job is to lobby on behalf of, oh, my God, his, sorry, to all our listeners, it, there, is, there is hail and there is gale force winds. This is great. But Howard Becker, he operates out of Albany and, you know, advocates on behalf of all the Fortune 50 companies based out of New York in Albany. And so he comes down in New York to do business. And I say, oh, Howard, you know, where do you bring your clients when it's time to meet with them, with your members, you know, where's your office? And he said, oh, I don't have an office in New York City. I travel to visit them because when you visit them, you get a chance to see the pictures on the wall, the photo albums on the desk, the signed baseball on the mantle, and you really get to know a lot of people, uh, know a lot about people during that. Well, I would argue that now when you're trying to sell into someone who's got three kids on his lap, wife yelling at him from the kitchen, all these things going on, you develop greater empathy for your customers now more than ever before, guaranteed. And we know that when you bring that emotion, that empathy into a B2B sale, you increase upsell, cross-sell revenue referrals. You develop greater lasting loyalty for many years to come by penetrating your customer base and meeting them where they are. That's, that's all I teach. And that's, <laughs> you know, the, so we're on the same page that, and this is amazing too, like that you're, uh, it, this is an adventure. This is the most adventurous interview we've done on the show yet. That you're like in the middle of a storm outside and you have double umbrellas and, uh, and hopefully you're taking something warm in your thermos yes. there. Yeah. Beautiful. This is great. It's, uh, it's so, you know, so you do all these amazing things, Chris, and you're bringing people together and, and you're living your life where you're inviting other people to dinner, right? Like you're having like this whole change moment from what you brought up at the beginning. But I, I, am really curious, like what was the, the changing moment? Cause it wasn't always this way, right? I mean, you know, you, you can maybe tell people like what it was like before. And then let's talk about how you decided to live this way. Totally. So imagine, so my life, from 2011 i'll skip oh well okay so childhood adhd hyperactive kid bouncing off all the walls my first memories are of like me being in a room like they they would put me in rooms away from the other kids uh with these single single sided mirrors so i could see what the kids were doing but the kids couldn't see me where is this at school this was like Montessori, literally. Oh my gosh. This was literally Montessori school. And then uh, a now friend of mine, Ned Hallowell, who's the world's foremost expert in ADHD, came out with his book, Driven to Distraction. And he, uh, you know, all these parents got knowledgeable about ADHD. So they put me on the medicine and 
essentially that like ruined my creativity. It put like blinders on me. And so that was my entire youth. And so then I tried running away from that and you know, that got me in trouble. So then they threw me in like, you know, the rehabs and then the jails and then out of the schools and then into these different places. And then I eventually made my way to New York city where I got randomly involved in theater. So theater was my life from 2011 to 2015. I was really good at it. We were entertaining millions of people. We're building social campaigns with tens of millions of people. Everything looked great on paper. But in July of 2015, I just come back to New York after producing a Broadway play over in Italy. And when I got back to New York City, I realized all of that ain't shit. Just because it looks good on paper doesn't mean it feels good in the heart. I realized in that moment, I felt four things. Lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure. And I realized I had to fix this about myself or else I was, they were going to put me in the, in the places again. So I thought back, you know, what changed me the most about it? Like Italy changed my life. Well, what was it? It was the food. So I started fiddling around in my kitchen, creating all these different recipes and out popped a simple pasta sauce. And I said, okay, it's pretty good, but I should probably feed it to people to see if it's really good or not. Right. So I started hosting dinners. Every week, 15 to 20 folks would pile into my 350 square foot studio apartment at the time. And we'd have dinner. 6.30 p.m. cocktails would begin. 8 p.m. dinner was served. But at 7.47 p.m., now the name of my company, we put the pasta in the pot and delegated all these tasks to really get everybody to work together to create the meal. So drink together, eat together, work together, which sets the table for gratitude. And at that very first dinner, we asked a very simple question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? And through all of that hard work, all the drinking and eating and talking, people came alive. They told stories. They cried. They transformed. I love the feeling of hosting. I love the feeling of not being the last one called to the party. So I just kept on doing it. And eventually we got so good that companies took notice and they called on us to, you know, do our stuff. So we're sitting there feeding everybody every week and realizing that, you know, this great childhood insecurity I talked about earlier is that I was always the last one called to the party, but now I got this magical pasta sauce. Now I got this gratitude question and uh, now the people come to me. And the really neat thing was uh, 2 a.m. on a Monday in February of 2016, I woke up in my bed, bawling my eyes out, realizing for the first time in my life, okay, this is joy. This is meaning. This is connection. And, uh, you know, once I found that, uh, I, knew, I knew I couldn't afford not to continue down that path. And uh, so we just kept up with the dinners. And here we are, uh, you know, a couple hundred dinners later, 400,000 relationships sparked and uh, a little, you know, a little company around it. 
So let's pause real quick and take a break and we'll be right back. I just want to have an expression of gratitude right now for Pro Audio Voices. They're the ones that uh, produce my podcast and Becky and her team are amazing. And for those of you that know me, I'm all about WOW clients, WOW partners, and Pro Audio Voices is a WOW partner for me. And if you want to learn more, you can go to proaudiovoices.com and you can learn about them. They also do audiobooks and they're just amazing people. Thank you, Becky. I want to go back and slow down for a second, just because I, I like to try to make things even more useful for, you know, how many people, um, and, and I was there too, like, you know, the, the paper story, building an ad agency, you know, on the outside, it, it being in, growing up in Silicon Valley, everyone's like, how big's your startup company, da, 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 da. And we had all those numbers, but then I didn't have what I needed inside and I was overweight, sick, all these things, blah, blah, blah. I can, and many people have heard my story, but I, what I would like to, what, there's always that, that moment and you had it where you came back home from Italy and you had that moment, but you know, what sparked you or gave you the courage to, to make the decision? Cause a lot of people that say, okay, yeah, I'm feeling this. And then they just keep going. So that's why I want to kind of slow down for a second. Is there a pinpoint moment? Like how did you decide to step out of that instead of getting stuck in the same swirl? So, so interestingly enough, at the time I was running a theater company with a guy named Tony and when I started doing the dinners, so I, I started doing the dinners because I had seen, I'll answer your question by going back to 2012. Okay. By going back to 2012 was when, I'll go back to 2011. I moved, to answer your question, <laughs> to our listeners, this will actually make sense. I, I bet I, it will. Go for it. I moved to New York City with no job no college degree, one suitcase, $8,000 in my pocket, living on my buddy's couch in Brooklyn. I called up my dad and said, well, now that I'm here, maybe I should try acting. And my dad did not know what to do about that. He knew nothing about acting, but he had met an actor once. So he reached out to the actor and said, hey, do you mind if my son asks you some questions about the business? Well, that guy said yes. He was a big, famous actor from the 70s and 80s who was super retired now. He had all the time in the world. And so on September 30th, 2011, I got to go over to his house, drink some wine, eat some food, and we didn't even talk about acting. We just talked about life. That gave me my first job in New York City. He said to come back the next week and we'd hang out and he'd put me to work and I'd do some tasks and all this kind of stuff. So for a couple months, I just like cleaned his closets and drove him places and called people in his phone book to get their email addresses. And like, I did bitch work. <laughs> and one day I read a, a script, a, a play that he had done in the 80s that I looked at the script now and said, we should do this play again. And he said, all right, you produce it. I'll act in it. I was like, okay, I didn't know what that meant, but okay, I'll produce it. So the first thing we did this is a big leadership lesson or learning lesson for this. The first thing we did was we rented a theater for at that point, seven months down the road, Tuesday, October 23rd, 2012 was opening night of the little flower off Broadway 
produced by some short white guy with the mustache, a fanny pack, and painted toenails. But we had to sell some tickets in the meantime. And every night, it seemed like some New York charity wanted to honor Tony. You know, he, he had done so much good work for the firefighters, for the cops, for the Italians, for the this, for the that. So everybody wanted to honor him somehow. So every day, I'd go into the office at 10 a.m. and do my work. At 5 p.m., I'd bicycle home, change my clothes, and at 6 p.m., the limo would pick me up, and then we'd pick up Tony at 6.20, and then we'd be at the charity gala at like 7, or 6.50 or 6.45 or 7, depending yeah. on how far away it was. And every night, Tony would step up to accept his award and say, you know what? I will auction off a dinner at my house for 10 people and it comes with 40 seats to our play because we would wholesale the tickets to the play to the charity and then whatever they got above that afterwards was their profit. Right. And so these dinners would sell for 10K, 20K, 40K. You know, we'd still sell tickets to the play. So that's how we sold out an entire run of the show. Wow. And so we're always producing dinners for the nonprofits, for the donors, and all that kind of stuff. So fast forward a couple years, 2015, I'm starting to do dinners on my own because I had seen how he brought together presidents, kings, queens, politicians, actors, etc. around food. So I started doing the dinners and I kept going into Tony saying, hey, I think we could do this for companies. I think they pay. You do it. I'll organize it and sell it. You do it and, and we'll have a good time. We'll make a lot of money. He didn't see it. He didn't see it. Slowly, I started realizing right leader, wrong vision. And then I started realizing wrong leader, wrong vision. And so then on December 21st of 2015, I left the company kind of left on bad terms. He kind of said to me, oh, by the way, all the people you met in the last five years working for me, none of them can, can know that you left. So that gave me all this fuel. We're in big trouble on the podcast, right? No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep going. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so that gave me the fuel to say, all right, let's see what I can do with my life next. And the beginning of 2016, I had all these different ideas in my head. I said, all right, I ran marketing for Emmy award-winning social campaigns. Oh, I'm also good at theater. Oh, I'm good at producing videos. Oh, I've also got these little dinners. And it was Sunday, January 24th, 2016. I went snow sledding with some buddies, Dave Lindsay, Jessica, Tripp, et cetera, et cetera. And we all went to Dave's big, Dave built a nice little company, a couple thousand people, did about 500 million a year. And when he said, so what are you going to do next? I said, I don't know. I've got this, that, this, that, this, that, and the other. He said, no, 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 Chris, you can't chase two rabbits at the same time. They'll both get away. Focus equals growth. He said, which one, you know, livens you up the most? Dinners. Which one do you think you can make the most money at? Dinners. Dinners, dinners, dinners. He said, all right, there you go. Pick dinners, not the other stuff. It's going to suck. You're going to need money. You're going to starve. 
you're eventually going to get it. I believe in you. And that was it. Then off to the races we went. Wow. So, yeah. Well, and, and then what I'm hearing too, is you had someone that you respected give you that little bit of guidance, you know, it's, uh, you know, often what I tell people when they get to that moment, that decision-making moment, and they can't find the decision, then ask someone else too. you know, like yeah. go, go get some help. And sometimes it just comes to you. You're like, you know, I, I know it. I've had people on the show and, you know, something really dramatic happens, you know, maybe someone dies in their life or things, you know, we realize how, how precious this, this thing life is that we're living. And then others, you're in this moment. And so for you, what I just to echo back, what I heard is that, you know, massive change was happening in your life. What's the next thing? And then you had some successful people say, Hey, you know, focus on these questions and they, you, it just drove your heart and you, you did the thing that was most in your heart. And now it's brought you to the success you have. It's a beautiful story, brother. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. If you, uh, how would you put it in your words? Like if somebody's in that moment and they're in that transition point, if you were to give them one, you know, one thing at that moment, what would you suggest to somebody that maybe doesn't have that person that has that successful business in their ear? You know, like what, what would they do? First of all, I'd say don't quit your day job. When you are trying to figure out, you know, you, if you've become passionate about something enough to devote the rest of your life to it, do not bring in the pressure of money immediately. I'd like to think that we gave ourselves about 18 months to go truly from passion to profit. The first year of our dinners, we did, we promised to do completely for free. Every dinner was for free in our home. We didn't touch money. It was just perfect that way. Then the next six months after that, from 12 to 18 months, we just charged enough to get by, just to pay our bills a little bit. And then after that 18 months, did it really become profit? But I, I had a lucky situation. I was splitting rent with someone else. I had a little bit of generosity for my parents. I had money in life savings. But it created pressure to have to turn this into a business. Um, so I'd say if you can figure out how to make it work with your day job as well, it takes the pressure off, you know, needing to figure out shit quick. Because the worst thing you can do is have a vision for something and throw the product out into the market before you have a, a product market fit, before you know if the community actually needs what you have. Right. Yeah. It's so important like to not develop something in a bubble and then come out and go, ta-da, and then, and no one wants it. And even if it is very, very valuable thing, the perceived value isn't there. So you have an issue, right? So yeah. it's, uh, it becomes, becomes a huge risk. And, you know, many people might say, well, wait a minute, Chris, you just said follow one bunny. And then now I'm doing two because I'm doing my job. You know, the thing that I can, I want to hear your answers, but I just want to add, I've helped other people make these transitions and it does come back to a financial thing. It's like, okay, well, let's get six months of runway before you quit your job. Let's make sure, what can you do to get that much savings? What are your bills look like? It comes to some fundamental things because if you're homeless, it's a lot harder to start a business. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, it's, um, you know, finances make you do dumb things you know, for short-term gains, you know, you were talking about if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Well, leadership and, and building a company 
especially as a, a service-oriented company. You know, you're talking about growing up in Silicon Valley. You're talking about exponential growth, uh, big quick exits, like you know, big tech. Those business models that we hero worship in America, that's not for like a service-oriented company, right? For a service-oriented company, you want to you want to you know prove that you're good at something over the long run that you're what your service offering, first of all, isn't going to make you just like affect your health, right? right. When you're in a service-based business, your health is on the line. A lot of times you got to be there to serve the client. And so you want to make sure that the way you, the way you serve people is sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, yeah, there's, there's no, there's no selling your business when you get, you know, you're, you're building something that you're going to be attached to. So you might as well make sure that you can, you know, really dev devote yourself to it before you, you quit your day job to devote yourself to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you can do this really, really smart is, is what basically we're saying. And, and that's where getting advisors helps. Cause if you've never done this before, you don't have a financial advisor, you know, like even having the money for that helps speed things up. Oh, because yeah. then if you have the day job and you can hire someone to help you, it gives some advice and all those things, it's going to make it a lot easier. So, Thanks, Chris, for sharing how, you know, what, what you did and how you got, how you got started. And then um, and it makes sense about the finance, like having, figuring out a plan to do it. And, you know, where you had more pressure, you know, basically maybe someone else doesn't have to have that pressure. But then let's fast forward now. So now after 18 months, you started to get into profit. And um, I know you mentioned some of the numbers, but this has really gone really big. You've done some really big, uh, meals and worked with a lot of, you know, big name companies now, but so this is really, really taking yeah. off for you. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it, once I put my mind around the fact that I'm going to devote the rest of my life to this, then we really started to make strategic investments in relationships. We really shelled out a lot of money and a lot of time in order to meet the right people in order to invest in the right people so that you can see dividends, you know, over the long run, it's natural to say that loyalty is cheaper than acquisition. And so what we really follow is, um, I mean, you're, you're a San Francisco guy, uh, Kevin Kelly, the original, you know, co-founder of Wired Magazine. The first article I ever read of his was called The, the Law of a Thousand True Fans. And he, he argues that any artist, entrepreneur, or creative type can make one heck of a good living with just a thousand true fans. And if we can keep a thousand people on our network that are just jazzed up for everything we do, raving fans, then we will have built, you know, quite the company. Just, uh, you know, when our book came out in a couple months ago, you know, instant thousand sales, right? $17 times a thousand you know, that's a good little base to say, all right, then you build on that with the, all the corporate sales and everything. But, um, you know, when you come out with a course and you, you know, you sell a, a $2,000 coaching program to a thousand people, you know, then, you know, it really gets into a, you know, a good business. Um, and we've been privileged to really dive into a very specific niche, which is the founders that are out there that have everything looks good on paper. Mm -hmm. You got cash in the bank, you know, good positive cash flow, a lot of good employees, all the right systems in place. But you kind of wake up in the middle of the night saying, this isn't it. I, I, I still feel a little bit disconnected from what I built. 
And those are our best clients. Our best clients are the founders that have built these good kind of mid-market, you know, small to small mid-market companies, you know, maybe 500 to 2,500 employees. And they're sitting there saying, you know, Chris, my first client was this old guy, Bob in Wisconsin. And uh, now we got a lot of clients in Wisconsin and I haven't even talked to Bob in a while. Can we go do dinner with Bob? And so they buy 10 to 15 dinners and we travel the world just being able to create that human connection again. They don't need to see any ROI, but of course, when you set that intention, then ROI does come. Right. Uh, when you lead with gratitude and loyalty and transparency and authenticity and all that jazz. So that's become our, our perfect clientele. And it's been really, really neat to see the business grow and really dive into the thought leadership of around gratitude and, and how that impacts connection, how that impacts leadership. And, you know, we've learned so much from, you know, folks like you and folks like Chester Elton, who's uh, the apostle of appreciation and, and so many good mentors in this space. And we can't wait to, you know, dive into more corporate offerings, more trainings, more coachings, more research, and, uh, you know, build a nice little firm out of it. It's beautiful. It's I'm sitting here watching you and hearing your story. And, you know, I, I often say that when you find what you're meant to do on this planet, that the things just align, you know, like the universe conspires for you to have your success. And, and it comes from that joy of helping your clients. And I know that I, and that's one of the things I teach called wow clients, like yeah. only work with your wow clients. And I could just feel it when you start talking about your clients, they're wow, because you're having this mutual exchange, like you're giving this service that's lifting them up and, and taking them places they've never gone. Because let's go back to what we said at the beginning of this podcast. And we said it a couple of times, meet people where they are. And yep. it's, you know, you find your wow client. This is often what I say, this is business. You find your wow client, you ask them what they want, you give them what they want, then you teach them what they need. And that's what I suspect I, I have yet. And I, uh, and just being all transparent, I haven't been to one of Chris's dinners yet, although I know it's going to happen. And we, we've had oh, a few yeah. conversations, it's happening. So we, um, but that's what you do. You bring people for one thing, but then they ultimately get another. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, um, you know, we, we sell into the, you know, we walk through the front door as a corporate client engagement event planner, right? They, every company's got it on the line item. Hey, we're going to spend a couple million dollars a year on, you know, just specifically taking clients out to dinner. Okay, so we fit. In. Nothing of what we're doing is innovative. It's just a new way of talking about it, right? People have been having dinners for millennia. People have been taking their clients out to dinner for millennia. People have been talking about gratitude forever. Okay, here's just a new way of looking at it. Right. And oh, there happens to already be a line item on your annual budget for my services. I'm gonna fall into that. So we walk through the front door through client engagement. We walk out the back door having just completely mind-fucked and soul-fucked <laughs> these people into saying, holy shit, I didn't, I didn't realize how much I needed that. Oh my God, everything. Yes, I can see in color now. This is it. Um, so it's been, it's been neat. That's, that's beautiful. I can't wait to see all the perennials that sprout up because of this rain. I just cannot wait to see. It's, it's, uh, it's so, so beautiful. It's interesting too, because it hasn't been looking like rain here in, in California and you're there in New York. And then today it's raining here. I had to, I didn't even have this sweater on. I had to go put it on because it started to get cooler and it rained at this, uh, right before we did this podcast. So 
we're doing the rainy day podcast today, Chris. And, <laughs> I like it. And, but I didn't go outside like you. <laughs> well, well, so we had such a we had such a wet April, and I don't know how the heck it took me so long to figure this out. It, we had such a wet and very cold April. You know, I'm, I'm quarantined with my girlfriend, and so we would have to we would have to arrange because we're both on calls all day, we'd have to arrange either who was outside, who was inside, who was in a closet, who wasn't. Because we, we have a very nice, you know, big studio apartment in New York City with a big backyard, but still, it's one room. Right. It's a great room, but it's one room. And right. so we've been having to play, you know, uh, negotiating, et cetera. And just last, yeah, last week, I interviewed uh, a San Francisco gal, a friend of mine, Tiffany Bova, who's a global growth and innovation evangelist at Salesforce. She travels 500,000 miles a year just speaking on behalf of Salesforce. Wow. And um, now that she's not traveling, she's got all the time to go on small people's podcasts like me or uh, LinkedIn Lives. And so I had her on and it was raining. It was storming. and it was pretty funny, but then my friend's V band who convinced me to self publish my book instead of going the traditional route, he sent me the link of a canopy tent on Amazon. And he said, if this is going to be your life over the next year, you got to invest in your, in your surroundings. And so instead of getting a, like a cross country or like a sporting event canopy tent, I got a big patio umbrella and that's become my shelter Nice. Um, you know, because we're we're doing you know four to five virtual dinners a week, and if it starts raining, et cetera, et cetera, we're, you know we're screwed. Wow. Well, you so. well you're making it. You're making it work, uh, <laughs> and you get to be outdoors. I mean, I'm, yeah. look at hearing me. I'm going all the list of gratitude. I just can't help myself. But you know, but it is quite uh, beautiful because you know, in a way, it's kind of forced you to. Uh, be outside when maybe it would have been easier just to be inside. Totally. And, yeah. It's, it's, I like uh, it. It's, it's like I'm going off to the office and my girlfriend's, you know, at her office all day. Perfect. Great. Yeah. So you picked outside or you guys switched places? I, I picked outside. Outside's like my, you know, I got my fire pit. I got the, you know, the garden. I've got all these kind of, this, this is my jam. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, you know, then that's, that's it then. So it's, it's, it's great. So, it, <laughs> if, and now you're going into summer. So it'll be, it'll be good. You'll have to get fans and stuff. You'll have to make oh, all yeah. additional investments. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Well, I appreciate you sharing all these stories and um, you know, I guess, you know, it coming back to the theme of what we do here, you know, the reason I call it more business and more, more life is because a lot of times people think that if they, choose their life they choose what they want and their passion in their heart that they they're not going to have abundance you know it's kind of like the starving artist mentality right you know like oh if i if i follow my passion to be an artist then i'm i'm going to starve it's it's not the easiest conversation because it comes back to mindset right because there are many artists that live a really 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 good life uh, you know what i what i try to tell people and i'm just curious in your perspective kind of and this would be a great way to close out our show is what you know i i'm convinced uh, that when you do follow your heart, that it does, it does come together. And I've proved it time and time again from all different kinds of industries. But how, how do you see it? Like with someone sitting there and they're like, I know what I want to do, and, but then I should just keep doing what I'm doing, making money. 
what do you usually tell people? Yeah, I mean, first of all, money is a necessity in order to live, so we can't avoid doing what you need to do. You know, I I don't think it's sustainable for everybody on the planet to follow their passion. You think that? I I might I might have a cynical. I I don't think. I, well, because even, you know, like I thought that too, because I was like, uh, I don't I was, think enough people are passionate about what needs to get done in order to help systems run. Right. You know, but sometimes I'm blown away because even like I think, okay, cleaning the house, like who really wants to do that? But you know what? I actually found a company that does. This guy, he actually, his mentor died of cancer because of the way that they use cleaning products. And so Mm -hmm. he created an all organic house cleaning company and like they're all super passionate and they're cleaning houses and they get to save people's lives and they're helping cancer patients. And so, I mean, it's like, it's crazy to me. So I haven't closed the book on it yet. You know, like I do think about that, but there's so many stories where if you put the right spin, it, it makes it, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, um, at a future conversation, we'll have to discuss the difference between finding your why and finding your passion or living a life of values. That's a, those are three different, totally. much deeper for later. But um, no, I, I'd say if, if, if someone's sitting there and um, you know, they, they know what they're passionate about, but they don't know if they can do it full time yet, just keep that passion compartmentalized in your life. And, and I, I know that sounds weird to say, but hold on, let me collect my thought. Um, can you repeat the question? Yes. I had a good answer right when you said it. And then we kept talking, (laughs) but you know, this is, so just to say one, one, I will repeat the question. We have, uh, we will have another podcast about this, but you're right. It's the passion meets the, the need, right? Cause if there Uh is no need for what you have. So I'm looking at, more when people are sacrificing their life to make money and they know they want to do something else, then, you know, kind of what, you know, what, what do you see from, from your perspective? Again, there might be an opportunity to, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do in order to invest, to make your heart full, at least somewhere. And, the way I answer that is by looking at people like you and me. We found what we were passionate about, ended up dedicating our life to it because we happened to be in whatever kind of privileged position we were in at the time. But now that we're running a company about it, we start to lose the passion. It can happen. Right? Yeah. It can happen. It can happen when you put your passion into your livelihood, then you start to lose the passion. And so I think there's many different, there's not a one-stop shop. I think that you can mirror, you can blend the two or you can keep them separate, but either way you got to make money and either way you got to follow your passion. If you're doing that at the same time, that's one thing and it's a convoluted mess. Or if you're doing them at different times, it's still a convoluted mess, but such is life. Right. Right. Our mess is our message. It's so uh, beautifully said. It's like not letting it go, you know, because I think that is what's sad for me and why I bring this topic up. Because if you, if you have your dream, your desire, like the big thing in your life on the side and it's your hobby, but then your day-to-day life gets tiring and then, you know, one, you know, slowly but surely you stop doing the hobby and then it goes to the wayside. You know, I think what I'm hearing from you is like, 
you know, the main thing is don't let that happen, like live it. And, and, you know, it, it might not always be the easiest matchup, but at least you're, you're doing it. And, and most people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year, but underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. If you keep doing something that you're passionate about, that single thing on a daily or a weekly or a monthly bay, whatever it is, over the course of a number of years, maybe one day you'll wake up and actually be the best in the world at what it is you're passionate about. And then, yes, you could actually monetize it. Guaranteed. I think a lot of people these days try to turn passion into profit a little bit too soon. Right? You, um, You grew one plant. Well, now you're an expert at growing plants and you're going to build a course around it, right? Right. You ran marketing. You were on a marketing team of a company that grew 200% over the course of two years. Well, now you've got a digital marketing agency. No, no. We've lost the sacrifice that it takes to become an expert at something. Yeah, or even if it is sacrifice, I, I pick at that word, but I, it's the apprenticeship type model. Like, you yeah. know, to that, that, uh, but I'm with you. Like, you know, to have the, the time to put it in there. Um, and at what level? Just being real about it, I think. Cause, you know, I look at like martial arts and even the younger belts teach the younger belts, right? You know, so mm-hmm. it's not always the black belt teaching the white belt. So, but know where you lie in that pool and not put yourself at a black belt when you're just, uh, I don't know what the other color would be like a yellow belt, right? <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, so it's all relative, right? We can all yeah. be teachers to a certain extent. So the person that did plant the one plant, they can definitely teach the person that's planted no plants. <laughs> but, but then what is that business there? And you're totally right though. It's that, you know, it goes back to outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. the 10,000 hours, like, you know, yeah. and, and some people did it faster because they put in massive amount of hours and, and then that could be looked at as that sacrifice, right? And sometimes those people don't even look at it as a sacrifice because they were just living the life that they wanted to at that moment, right? So to whatever it is for you, I'm hearing you and just, you know, saying, you know, one, do it. And I, I would echo that by saying, you know, schedule it. A lot of people don't mm. schedule their fun, right? They don't schedule oh, yeah. a dinner. They don't schedule their fun. So, you know, uh, I guess I always try to put it back down to one thing, but you can change if you want. Like as we, as we wrap up the podcast, like from what I heard from you, I'm going to say this and then you tell me if you would add something or even make it something different. But the one thing is, schedule your passion whether it's like doing it on the side or you're doing or or you're going to choose to do it then make sure your finances are in order and and plan when you can operationally start a business around it but either way i think what you're saying is just do it yeah when you read our book gratitude and pasta the secret sauce for human connection you'll actually see that the conclusion chapter quite simply says pick the date for your first dinner we wrote a book teaching people how to host their own dinners. The first step is just pick a date. Right. You'll figure out the food. You'll figure out the who. You'll figure out the why later. That's it. And that's why you booked the theater. Now yeah. put yeah. a deadline. They're going back yeah. to the tying those stories all back together. It's Creativity you know, loves constraints. That's it. That's it. This has been beautiful. And I think we definitely do have a podcast too at a later date because there's so many things you and I could talk about. And I love the whole idea of, 
you know, passion versus, you know, finding, uh, finding the way, because I think a lot of people are going to look to people like you and I, and they're like, wow, they're living their dream. How do I do that too? So, you know, the opportunity that we had today to pick it apart and to do that further, I just appreciate you taking the time to be on our show and express this to other people out there and, uh, love that you, you wrote the book about this. And I know so many people are going to get help. So we'll definitely put the links to the book so people can get that. And I think you're an inspiration brother, just bringing more people together. So keep doing what you're doing. I dig it, my man. Thanks for having me on today and putting up with the, uh, the fun weather. Oh my gosh, it made it an adventure. <laughs> we're definitely, we're de uh, as anybody that watched or listened to this noticed that we left some of it in there just for your, uh, your amusement there. <laughs> Thanks for putting through it, Chris. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to the More Business, More Life podcast. I hope you got value. And if you did, we have so many more things for you at stevenopleton.com. You'll be able to connect with us on social media. We are active. You can ask us questions. And then on top of that, I want to give you a really big gift. And it truly is. We want to give so much value. We have an offering. It's a program called Clear Path to Customers. It's the same way that we attract wow clients and only working with the right people, the people we want to. And it's transformed my business into millions more in revenue with the right people and my clients. And we're doing it absolutely free. So you can go to stevenopleton.com and grab that. You just got to put in your information. We'll send it to you promptly. And that again is on stevenopleton.com. I look forward to having you on the next show. Until then, remember, choose gratitude and create freedom. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.